like a kid, I bet that you didn't know He wanted to be on TV, they said hell no You better stick to radio, Mitch Gallo You're listening to Montreal's finest podcast. I'm Mitch Gallo. This is the podcast where we seek out some of the cooler people in the city of Montreal and hope that they can either teach us something or inspire us. Today's guest is the voice of the Montreal Canadiens and my favorite play-by-play man in the National Hockey League, Dan Robertson. Thank you uh, for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for saying that, Mitch. I appreciate it. So uh, let's get into your background a little bit, and then we'll talk about uh, the Montreal Canadiens, if that's cool. Sure. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Trenton, Nova Scotia, a town of uh, about 3,000 at the time, but dwindling since. So it's on the North Shore of Nova Scotia. What can you tell us about uh, your upbringing? Uh, brother and a sister, both older. Uh, small town kind of thing, as I mentioned. Played a lot of hockey. And, uh, you know, I was, I was a pretty good hockey player, uh, had some, well, I hate to say it that way. I had a couple of invitations here and there to some, a couple of junior camps, one of them being, uh, the Hull Olympic at that time. And I said, nah, I don't think so. I was burned out by a certain age, not to say I could have gone anywhere, but just to give you an idea, but yeah, ball in the summer and, you know, a lot of organized, self-organized sports, it seemed, uh, I uh, had a great group of friends growing up. We were all, uh, you know, similar age group. So we did a lot of our own stuff, whether it was, you know, football or baseball. I guess the point is that sports was at the middle of it. So it was a, it was a small town kind of thing, which, uh, thank you. I've lived in different places. I just got some new headphones. That's why I said thank you. It's very needed. It, yeah. You want to be able to hear your own booming vocals. Uh, yeah, in the that's microphone. right. But, uh, yeah, so it's, I've lived different places, but I'm a, I'm a small town guy and I, uh, you know, I look forward to going back every summer and enjoying that pace. It's funny, looking at uh, the way kids are brought up now, because you mentioned just being burnt out from, uh, from playing. I don't know how kids don't get burnt out oh. because when I grew up, same, same as you, baseball in the summer, hockey in the winter, and when winter rolled around, or at least late August, early September, the temperature started to dip, yeah. and you could almost smell hockey, as, as silly as that sounds. It and doesn't. It, it got you excited. But now they don't put the bag away. They play year-round because they're afraid that uh, Timmy up the street is gaining on them. Yeah. And I don't know how more kids don't get burnt out from playing the game. I, I agree, and I heard you on the Play It Again sports program talking with the guys about that. Right? Yeah. And it, I had seen a tweet, um, I guess, yeah, basically quoted Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky saying basically what we're saying. And I saw footage of Matt Sundin talking to a group of kids maybe a dozen years ago or more saying, look, in Sweden, hockey ended, put the hockey bag away, played tennis, played soccer, played whatever. And to me, it's all transferable. But to me, mostly, it's I don't care what you do. You have to get away from something for a while. And I get it. I'm not saying that every spring hockey program is bad or that summer hockey programs are bad, but uh, kids are better off served doing other things. And there are kids who want to play year-round, but I don't think you should let them. But, you know, that's I don't think it's going to change either. And it's so funny because uh, the person I had on the Play It Again radio show he was a hockey instructor oh, yeah. whose business is going on the ice with people in the summer. And he even he was saying, oh, you should take some time away from the game. Leave it so you can love it, because it's hard to love it if you're doing it year-round. I like what you said. You could, that change in the air, 
you yeah. could say, okay, then you get excited. Hockey's coming. Got my tryouts. Oh, yeah. And to get on the ice for the first time. Yeah. And you talk about my upbringing, and, and as we just talk about this, I think about how excited I was. I mean, I'm like a million other kids in this country. I It was my whole life, and, uh, you know, for a long time, and stuff where I'd I'd shoot pucks um, at lunchtime in the basement. I'd shoot after school. Hockey Night in Canada would come on. I'd go down between periods, do a little play-by-play, pretend I was Daryl Sittler Okay, or when did that start for you? Uh, oof. Just in my head, probably, <laughs> I don't know, nine or ten. Really? Yeah, something like that. I always kind of had a, even if I didn't realize it at the time, I, I had uh, an interest in listening to the different play-by-play guys, so... Sort of subliminally, I think uh, some of that stuff was seeping through my head. Did you get so? So right away, you said uh, Sittler. Did yeah. you did you get mostly Leaf games or? No, it was. Ha- That's a good question. It was. I, I can remember this. It would have been eight o'clock Eastern start, so nine o'clock our time. There was just one game. Right. So I. It was always a battle with mom and dad, and they would usually let me stay up pretty late. But being a young kid, I wanted to stay up for the whole thing, and I'd have to beg them, look, let me. St- let me stay up past the first intermission, but it was uh, yeah I think more Leaf games than than anything. But after that, it would be Canadians games, and of course back then it was, and it, we're talking the mid mid to late well late seventies. I'll start with I guess, but it was one game a week. You didn't. I can remember seeing turning the station around when playoffs started one year. I remember the first thing I saw was Denny Heron, who was a Canadians goaltender for a while. And they were playing, I'm pretty sure he was with Pittsburgh, though, and they were playing the playoffs. I thought, wow, it's a Tuesday night. There's a hockey game on TV, right? Man, I sound like a dinosaur. But it was, to me, too, there was that, you know, that was, now there's almost a saturation. Back then, you knew it was coming once a week, and you couldn't wait. So, yeah, it's a different world, but it was, boy, I couldn't get enough of it, that's for sure. It's funny, because I have, like, a similar memory of watching games during the week for the first time, where... Again, I I don't know if it's something in my brain that I relate it to seasons and how things feel, but again, playoff hockey, yeah. and it was hockey night in Canada, and I remember the Leafs were playing the Sharks, and even as a kid, I didn't really get why the Leafs would be playing the sh- a California team in the first round or second round of the playoffs, whatever it was. Yeah. I remember those teal jerseys. I remember it was still light outside when the puck was dropping, which was weird for me. <laughs> And I remember the crowd chanting Urbe, Urbe at uh, the Latvian goalie, Arthur Zerbe at the yeah, time. It, yeah, and Urbe, now that you say that name, um, I asked Antoniemi last year a couple of his favorite goaltenders growing up, or maybe the year before he said Arthur Zerbe. <laughs> this makes and, complete sense. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but he was like a rock star in a lot of ways to a lot of people. But it, yeah, it's, it's funny, right? I think anybody who's a sports fan or a hockey fan, since we're talking about that, we all have our are certain memories of um, growing up and certain moments. I can I can remember I was a Canadians fan as a kid because my brother was. So now uh, your brother's older. Yeah, he's nine years older than I am. So uh, you know I, I I idolized him, but he didn't have much time for me. Which I, <laughs> I I say that jokingly. I mean, there's you get that much of an age difference. I think I was probably a pain in the ass. But um, <laughs> yeah, I remember when Lambert scored to beat the Bruins, and he hugged me. I thought, oh my god. Well, he's actually showing some emotion here in, in, in favor of his little brother. But just, you know, we all get, I can remember too, not to get too far off track, but when the Islanders, when the Leafs beat the Islanders in overtime, Lanny McDonald scored, uh, I must have been 70, 78. They went on the next, uh, maybe 79. They were swept anyway by the Canadians the next round, but they upset the Islanders. And I was at uh, Kmart. 
uh, with my parents and, and the big floor model TVs were on and they were tuned to the game and I can remember seeing the goal scored there. I must have been up late that night, but uh, yeah, just right. We all have those miles, uh, stones or fence, uh, mile markers that stick in our head from uh, from certain certain games that we've seen over the years. No, and I love the story about your brother too because, uh, you know, hockey provides uh, so many uh, occasions to to bond and and form memories like the ones you're talking about so that's yep. that's fantastic yeah. um so you said you were a fan of the Montreal Canadiens who's who's your favorite player you know i i i don't think i saw him play much but my first favorite was Ivan Carnway and i think again because i know peter liked him but i can remember okay peter's my brother um you know the the roadrunner and that kind of thought i was probably into the uh, the roadrunner and the and wily coyote back then and and thinking oh that's cool so why is he the roadrunner and peter said well he's really fast you know short guy scores a lot of goals but i think my first memory of him was in street clothes when they won one of the cups and back injuries had taken their toll by then but when i when lafleur was in his prime he was I mean, you know, it was that chain of great players. He came after Bobby Orr he, in the sense that he was the best player in the league. And I don't get starstruck. It, a couple of times it's happened. Jean Beliveau's funeral, I was, you were outside, I remember, in that terrible oh, conditions. Oh, man. That was not the worst. That was one of the most <laughs> difficult days of my uh, journalistic that, career. Sideways, wet, wet as snow I think I've ever seen. I remember, uh, <laughs> and again, silly things. Yeah. Uh, stand out when we think back. I just remembered uh, Gino Retta uh, trying to get an interview with, I think PK was going by and he's like, I'll talk to you after. And Gino has like these long eyelashes and yeah. they were like icicles <laughs> coming off of it. Yeah. And uh, he's doing TV, so he's not even dressed anywhere near appropriately for that occasion. I, yeah. I felt bad for the guy. No, that was, a, that, was a, that was quite a day. And I, anyway, the station got me to go in. It was my first year in the job and I sat in a pew and Mary Lemieux came in and sat two pews ahead of me and turned around and looked at me and I, I mean, he's my, he is my favorite player ever. But, uh, what I'm getting at is Guy Lafleur. We've had a couple of times where he's, uh, spoken at our booth at the bell center and I've been there just to sort of turn the gear on. And I get a little, I don't get nervous around him, but I look at him and think, my God, you're Guy Lafleur. He, I mean, I'm not, this isn't any secret to anybody in, in Montreal or, or beyond, but his, just his star quality and the way he showed up in big games and, just the way he looked, uh, you know, doing everything at top speed. He was, he was the first, my first favorite player, and uh, I'm not alone. That's for sure. With uh, with Guy Lafleur. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've I've been so blessed to have met so many of the alumni that I came nowhere near watching them, but obviously I see the historical footage and I'm into yeah. the history of the Canadians. And Yvon Cornoyer. Is my favorite. Nice. He is the nicest guy, and that's not to say anything negative about the other ones because uh, I've met Gila Fleur, fantastic guy, very charming, always smiling. Uh, both Mahavaliches, but there's something about Yvonne Cornoyer that uh, I gravitate to. And obviously, you know, I'm a little guy. Okay. Yeah, I know yeah. he obviously was small uh, in stature. Yeah. And playing at a different time where you took a lot of abuse. So I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Yvonne Cornwell. Well, again, I talk about wanting to meet people. I, at the Canadians golf tournament, it would have been a couple of years ago, I think I said to Sergio, can you introduce me to him? <laughs> and he couldn't have been any nicer. And I, I said, I do play by play for the Canadians. He said, oh, okay. Um, and we talked about briefly about the <laughs> Foster Hewitt. He said in the seventy-two series, you know, he, he couldn't pronounce his name. 
Cornier, Cornier. I mean, he was old. Cornier. Cornier. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, do you like Corvassier? <laughs> and, he, and Froster said, yes. And he said, well, how come you can pronounce that, but you can't pronounce my name? Something along that's those great. lines. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I always, uh, but, you know, that's when you mention it, I mean, historically, okay, he he was a front and center. He was on the on the ice when Henderson scored the goal. He was front and center in that, I mean, that massive series, right? He's a link to those great Canadians teams. Um, I can't actually remember when he started. I would say maybe 67, something like that. 60, maybe, no, actually earlier. But he was, he bridged the gap um, between some, you know, massive stars like Bellabo and Indel Fleur and Ari Richard was there too. He's yeah. just a, and I, I I, I what's he won like ten cups eight eight nine ten cups I should know that but it's you know guys like that just aren't going to come along anymore. I just uh, I, I remember him telling us about when he first came up and he couldn't get on the ice. Like yeah, he'd only play on the power play. Right, and uh, he found it very frustrating at the beginning. Yeah, but so many stars ahead of him, and you know they were kind of passing passing on the torch. Kind of happened the same way with Lafleur. Yeah, where there was so many expectations early. You look at the numbers, you go okay. Yeah. And then as time progressed, three years in, all of a sudden, superstar. Yeah, I know, I've never asked him, but they said uh, when he took his helmet off, that sort of went in step when, with when he took off. I'm sure it's more than that. I love the poetry behind that. Yeah, thing. I know. It's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a nice story, it at is. least, even if it's not true. Yeah, it's, it's lore. And it's crazy, though. You see pictures of him with the helmet on and... Yeah, man, it doesn't look right. <laughs> well, even you know all the helmets back then look wrong, but that's that's another yeah, story. Yeah, they did. They did. They didn't protect much either. No. Um, just going uh, to you uh, calling games uh, when you're nine years old. Who who would be the broadcasters that you were listening to then? Obviously, uh, what wouldn't be Foster Hewitt anymore? No. So we're talking about uh, Danny Gallivan. Like who? Who yeah. are you listening to? I'm thinking. Bill Hewitt did some of the Leafs games, and he was Foster's son. He wasn't particularly good, I didn't think. Um, now, yeah, Danny Gallivan would have been the first, and and Dick Irvin, too. And I haven't met him. I really want to meet him. I have a great deal of respect for him because, you know, I've read his books. And, I mean, here's a guy who he used to sit on the Canadian's bench when he was 12 years old. He, I don't know, he might open the door when his dad coached. You're not going to see that today. No. Uh, but he was a great host. He did color and he did play-by-play -play all equally well. And uh, I remember reading in uh, in his book My Two Lives in Hockey, something that stood out to me. I read it years and years ago. So to me it's kind of ironic that I have this job now in a sense. And he said, "You know, I always regretted that I couldn't make my living just just doing sports. So he would have to do news shifts and that, that sort of thing. But I, I liked him and I, I liked how he sort of meshed with, uh, with Danny Gallivan. And you know, I, what I do remember back in those days was that Gallivan was kind of, he was older and, and near the end. Right. So, um, yeah, but it, it's, to me, it's almost like, uh, not to say that I, I think Dick Irvin was a better play by play man than Danny Gallivan, but there's something I really, I really appreciate it about him, and I, I hope to meet him someday and tell him that for for what that's worth, just for my own satisfaction, I suppose. Oh, you definitely should. Yeah. I'm sure he'd really appreciate that. Oh, I'd love to. When did uh, when did Bob Cole come into the equation? Oh. And were you guys, like, uh, as Maritimers, were you guys super proud yeah, well, it's, of Bob? You know, I don't know how this will sound, but it's almost, well, Newfoundland is separate, I think. We get that sort of feeling that, 
you know, if he was, was it an, a rivalry, no, no, it's just to me, it's, it's Nova Scotia New Brunswick PEI and then Newfoundland's off on its own <laughs> okay. in more ways than one. But no, it, it, there was, I think there's always been pride that he's from uh, Eastern Canada. And I, yeah, I mean, his, obviously his calls were, were woven throughout, uh, throughout my early days too. It's just, I, I can't remember anything that, that really stands out, but, um, you know, I, I felt bad in the last few years that a lot of people would say, get him off the air. He's making mistakes. You know, you see that on Twitter and we all know that Twitter can be a, a bad spot for negativity and, and yeah, he made mistakes, but the man is, you know, 85 years old. Um, so I, I just, if you look at, I, I mentioned the 72 series that Carnway uh, played in. Well, Bob Cole did it on radio, and if you can find some of that stuff on YouTube, he was he was tremendous, and I always respected, I guess, the fact that he just, you know, Foster Hewitt recommended him. He, he stopped by. He was in Toronto, dropped off a tape, and just went and saw him. I mean, I love that story. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy, eh? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, he's... What, what the, where did I hear this the other day? I'm trying to, trying to think. Um, there was a conversation about, no, it was with Chris Cuthbert. He was on with Jay and Dan and they were talking, Chris Cuthbert is my favorite. And he said in 2005, I'll tell you a story about 2005 in a minute too. When, it's walkout year. Yeah. So NBC hired him, um, uh, for the next year, I guess they started their coverage and he said, we're going to, they told him we're going to have three guys in the booth or three guys calling the game yourself two color commentators and you're all going to be responsible for 33% basically changing the model. Mm -hmm. And, and Cuthbert said, now it's sort of back to the way it should be. And the way it should be was set by Bob Cole. So, you know, a guy feeling the game, calling the play color commentator, adding what he should add, but not, not this NBC style conversation back and forth. Or often often it becomes, if you're a viewer, like shut up. I know. Uh, And uh, that, I think NBC originally did that maybe because di- trying to get to different viewers and I- inform yeah. them and that sort of thing. Yeah, they the felt they were talking to uh, Lehman's audience, right? Yeah, yeah. So, But to get back to 2005, they fired Chris Cuthbert, CBC did, when, um, when the lockout came. Because I guess they thought, well, we can't pay him. So TSN hired him like 20 minutes later. Because yeah, he could do baseball and football, and yeah. he's a very talented guy, oh, Chris yeah. Cuthbert. So. Yeah. I happened to, through a friend of mine, I had sent uh, a VHS tape of my junior work to a man named Joel Darling, who was executive producer at Hockey Night in Canada back then. I would have been 35, and I almost got that job. Jim Hewson got it, and he was the right man to get it, but uh, I was shortlisted for that job. So I remember at the time thinking, okay, yeah, I'm on my way. Well, This is what, this is what year? 2005. That's still 2005 that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought about that the, when I heard... Uh, Cuthbert on with Jay and Dan, but yeah, I have a, I have all kinds of respect for Chris Cuthbert. He's my favorite. Yeah, uh, I I think some of the best uh, hockey play by play I've ever seen would be the Dallas Stars Edmonton Oilers series that they had a couple years there in the Western Conference. Yeah, extreme battles with Cujo making the uh, crazy saves, diving across the crease. Over time, I remember uh, the the call on uh, I think it was Todd Marchand. Yes, goal. yeah, I was just thinking that the uh, breakaway down the right side and yeah, and he could he could skate like the wind. Yeah. Todd Marchand. I just remember just Chris Cuthbert making me be able to stay awake for those games that would go late into the night just because he was so exciting. And the other thing I love about Bob Cole, I don't think anybody understood tonality better than him. No, not even close. 
So, and then, and then you talk about Twitter and stuff like that. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, because of, uh, the nineties, um, they, when they, they think of Bob Cole, they think of the Maple Leafs yeah. and a lot of people obviously don't like the Maple Leafs, even though Bob Cole was not a Maple Leafs fan. And I just, I, I never like when Vin Scully was wrapping up, I don't remember seeing so much negativity towards Vin. No, that's true. But for whatever reason, Bob just... People like to pile on. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, you mentioned Twitter, and, and well, Jim Houston yesterday or the day before was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Saw that, yeah. So Craig Simpson tweeted, "Way to go, partner! You're the best." And then a big litany of comments. You, he sucks, right? Uh, a big Leaf fan. He's terrible. I'm thinking, okay, you can say you don't like him. Don't tell me he sucks because he does not suck. He does not suck. He, does he not also suck. started in Vancouver, not yeah. Toronto. No, I know. I know. Well, I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? And and I can be thin-skinned at times, and I'm going to have to learn not to be mm-hmm. because you can't – there's nobody who can please everybody. I mean, it, I always look at that and think, okay, if you're going to rip Chris Cuthbert and Bob Cole and Jim Houston, <laughs> then okay, I'm fair game. Yeah, every, everybody <laughs> is, a, is a target at yeah, that point. Yeah. I think, uh, by the way, Chris Cuthbert started – uh, with Melnick at CJD at the yeah, same time. Yeah, that's right. That and I didn't know that till about six months ago, and I was like, "Holy mackerel!" That's uh, with Elliot Price. How's the, that for a staff as uh, like three twenty-year-olds coming in at the same time? Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think Houston has a connection with them too. Maybe so. I believe maybe so. And it's funny. I mean, even in the early days of TSN, Jim was calling games then, and I like that's a long time ago, like early to mid '80s. So I mean, he's earned it and. You know what I thought though? I thought how is Ron McLean not in the in the in that category? He's not. No. Oh. Anyway, don't think he is. Guess uh, there's still time. Oh yeah, he's there's still time. He's still uh, he's still at the top of his game. When the uh, when the pipes come in? Because you're doing games on nine. I'm assuming you didn't sound like you sounded. No, right. I don't know. Um, my father, who died a few years ago, was a uh, dad was about five seven. Totally different build to me, lean, but he had this voice, and it was the. the <laughs> it, it was. I mean, people would call and they didn't know him, and they, you know, hello. And he sounded. He had the most beautiful voice, and uh, so I guess if there's any any depth to mine, that's where it came from. I, I, I was never comfortable with it. I think over the last few years, I've become more comfortable with it. I, I think a lot of people are that way. They don't. What do you, what do you mean you're not comfortable well, with you, it? Well, you hear people say, "I don't like the sound of my own voice." Early, you, you thought that early. I did early. I thought <laughs> ah, because I'm hard on myself, and then I yeah. thought no, you know. Even now, I'll think ah, that call wasn't great, and I'll listen back. Think okay, you know, I, it doesn't sound too bad. So I, I think, um, I don't know, maybe mid twenties. It seemed that I thought okay, uh, my voice isn't too bad. Although yeah, that's when I I guess I went to broadcasting school when I was like 23 or 24. That's a little late. It is. I yeah, I graduated from St. Mary's University in Halifax. I thought I wanted to be an English teacher and uh I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, it's I, a nice base to have. No, it's true. I and wish I, I spoke better English than I do. <laughs> well, not many not many do. So, uh <laughs> speak uh, great English, but I love to write and uh, all that sort of thing and uh, it seemed to be my side of the brain was uh, leaning towards that uh, the languages, I guess. And then one day I was sitting on uh, the couch and I had done a couple of things, moved to Vancouver. I was a security guard for seven months, killing time, didn't know what I wanted. And 
TSN came on, whatever version of it was, and I thought, I could, I could sit on the desk and I could do that. So I ended up going, finding a broadcasting school in Halifax, and I must have been 24. And then, uh, yeah, worked in a radio station in Antigonish where Danny Gallivan worked 100 years ago and uh, <laughs> worked in the newsroom thinking, nah, I'd like to get to sports someday. And it's funny, I look back now and... It was a winding road, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me when I think of all the various stops along the way. Yeah, but, I mean, winding roads, uh, eventually, if they lead to where you want to be, it yeah. doesn't matter how you get there. No, it's great. And, I mean, back then, I, I would do things like I I would read the newscasts, but I would go to Guysborough County Council or Antigonish Regional School Board meetings and, you know, just... Uh, but I, I found that reading, you know, delivering the news on the air, it helped me learn to broadcast i guess when i say broadcast like push my voice in a certain way and i didn't really have anyone helping it just i seemed to be able to know how to do that and then got married moved to denver and lived there a couple of years didn't do anything didn't have a work permit we thought that we could get our green cards uh didn't work out that way i came back gave a, a cassette to a man who became a big influence for me brett smith at eastlink television in halifax and he said, oh, I like you. We're looking for somebody who can do some stuff on the air, and uh, we do Mooseheads games. Would you like to do something there? I said, sure. So I was actually the color commentator for when they first, the first year they, first time they hosted the Memorial Cup, 99-2000. Uh, that's when I got into that stuff. So after that, it was, you know, I turned to play-by-play, -play and I thought, okay, I can do this. But I did football and basketball, and I hosted those things, and soccer and baseball, and I guess when you talk about a winding road, I always think the more you can do along those lines, it pays off. How many years did you take off? Uh, let me see. I was married in 97 to 99, so I guess two, two and a half, something like that. Did you jump right back in? I did. I did. And I, you know what? I should have. There was a community TV station just down the road from where we lived in, in Aurora, Colorado, just a suburb of Denver. And I, I think, why didn't I go and, and be a little more forward and try and get on the air there? But... Yeah, I mean, when, when I came back to Halifax, it was I was working a number of different jobs, and then was just kind of volunteering with Eastlink. It wasn't a, I was getting like fifty bucks a game, but I didn't care. I was happy, and then I I got a job with the Moncton Wildcats in I think oh one oh two to do their road game. So I would drive from Halifax to Moncton, which is I don't know two and a half three hours, and then jump on the bus like you've been on the bus. Mm -hmm. Steve Bernier and Corey Crawford were sixteen year old rookies on that team. And, uh, again, I always had higher hopes for Steve Byrne. Yeah. Great big kid, right? First overall pick in the queue and 16th, I think in the, my San Jose, right? Yeah. yeah. And then bounced around, right? Buffalo, New York, New Jersey. I think he was in the AHL this year, but. Oh, he's still playing? Yeah, oh, okay. I think so. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, and then I, I got on full time with, with Eastlink and yeah, kind of. That's where I was before here. Do you remember your first, uh, play by play by play gig? I can remember one of them. I think the second one, one of the players, Jonathan Boone with Halifax, slid into the boards and kicked a hole in the boards. So, which I've never seen before or since. So, so like the yellow part of the boards? No, just above, above. Just above, yeah. It was really weird. So these, this is how, um, I don't want to say lowbrow, but uh, we would do the games at night and air them the next morning. Moose for breakfast. I'm sure our viewership was not great. <laughs> uh, so I, the color guy that day, actually I was supposed to do color and I was filling in for somebody, but I was alone. 
So I had to fill like 15 minutes by myself and just the funny things, uh, along the, fixed way the boards. Yeah. Yeah. Like we didn't have commercials or anything like that. So, but again, I, that's how you learn to do things, I think. So yeah, that's, that's one that stands out for sure. I remember <laughs> I was doing uh, a game with, uh, with Connor. Yeah. And I think we were in, uh, I don't remember if it was Victoriaville or Drummondville. Don't remember where we were, but. They came and they put a stuffed animal next to us. Oh, okay, of course. And yeah. I thought, uh, oh, that's that's strange. <laughs> I'd never seen that before. And then I think it was I think it was Drummondville because mm-hmm. I, I believe uh, Sean Couturier scored, and Sean Couturier scored to open the uh, open the scoring, and they just littered the ice. Okay, like everybody in that arena. It's a packed house. I think it was actually a Grey Cup weekend, packed house, and and the animals just started pouring onto the ice. And then we were also left with a 15-minute delay. What yeah. do we do now? Yeah, that's good, you know? though, isn't it, though? Right? It was, well, it was a great experience. Yeah. Connor and I filled the time fine. We were two. I'm just thinking about you having yeah. to do that by yourself. They had, they had the players on uh, the Voltige. They were, like, using their sticks to try to collect <laughs> all the stuffed animals into one place. I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness, this is stupid. Yeah. And then, and then they put them all in a bag, and they give them back out to the people in the crowd, and they do it again the next time they no score. Way. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, oh, man. I'm like, guys, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah. The dreaded teddy bear toss. Good cause, but not good for broadcasters. Yeah. Not good for broadcasters. Uh, indeed. Uh, do you remember when you started thinking like, okay, I'm not, I'm actually, uh, the play by play thing. I'm actually pretty good at this. Yeah. I, well, I can remember Sean McKenzie was, uh, actually I was hosting then, but Sean was, uh, he had a cup of coffee in the NHL as a goaltender with Colorado or New Jersey actually. And he was the Mooseheads head coach for a long time. And they had played Cape Breton in a playoff series and they're vicious rivals in the Quebec league. And I was hosting and Sean came up to me and he was a, I don't want to say he was a stern guy, but he was, you know, he pretty straightforward, but he said, I, you know, you're. I just want to tell you, I heard your coverage is good, and specifically, people are saying how good you're doing. I thought, oh, wow, okay. So then it was just little things like that, Mitch, I think that, again, I'm, you know me, I'm a pretty big critic of myself, but I would listen and think, okay, am I? Like, I can remember distinctly watching Hockey Night in Canada, maybe thinking, am I good enough? Am I one, Could I be one of those guys? And I always just wanted the chance, right? So... This it was Joel Darling, who I mentioned earlier, was with uh, with Hockey Night in Canada, the executive producer. When when I had sent him the tape and I had sent him some football um, coverage too, he got back to me and he you know he gave me a lot of praise. And I thought, okay, then if he's going to tell me that, then it, then it's true. So maybe I'm onto something, and I'll kind of double down and work hard harder at it. And I always originally I'm 49. Originally, I gave myself like a a goal of 40 to be, to have the job that I do now. I don't know what I would have done otherwise, but it was, you know, I liked my old job, but it was getting old with driving so much driving. And, um, again, I'm thankful for it, but I, I was at the end of it. I was, I was getting pretty frustrated. I thought, okay, I, you know, I've done all I can do here. Not to say I was too good for it, but I needed a new challenge. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it was when, when Joel kind of identified me and said, you're, you're on the short list. Yeah, it's nice eh, when you have somebody that you really respect tell you that you're doing a good job. Like for me, 
when I was starting out, like having Melnick's backing was uh, was Ugh. just so huge. That's when I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe yeah, I can get by with having uh, the high pitched voice that I do. Oh, you yeah, the high pitched <laughs> voice. You, you know what? I'll tell you, I, people don't do that enough, right? Like we don't tell each other, okay, you're really good at this, or you that was a great segment. I mean. It doesn't take much if you really think if you think somebody's good, just tell them that. I I, I think I believe in that no matter what it is. I, I think it's important to do that. And uh, as long as you're not just blowing smoke. No, exactly. You know? As long as you believe it, not just saying it to make somebody feel good. Like it's. I think it's important. And um, I had. Uh, I'm not sure you wouldn't remember Dan Kelly. Uh, no. Dan Kelly was his. He was a legendary broadcaster. Um, he's from Ottawa, I believe, and went to the United States early. And he actually did the 87 Canada Cup on TV with Ron Roosh, did color. And he did. He was a blues play-by-play guy for years. This is radio? No, TV. This is TV. Yeah. And his son, John, is, I think, the regional play-by-play guy for the blues TV. So Chris Kerber, who does radio, is letting John do second-period play-by-play, which I think is great, but... Scott Mellenby. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. I yeah saw isn't that, that yeah, something? I don't cool. think I could. I don't know if I could say, "Hey, Brian Mudrick, you want to yeah, come and call?" Give, give, give yeah. the uh, give the reins over. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, that magnanimous. <laughs> but uh, Scott Mellenby, who works with the Canadians, of course, um, I had done some TV this year, and he grew up in St. Louis, or spent a lot of. time. He didn't grow up in St. Louis. Spent a lot of time there, uh, you know, playing with the Blues and that sort of thing. And he came up to me and he said, "I watched one of your games." He said, "You reminded me of Dan Kelly." I thought, oh, wow. I, I said, thank you. I mean, again, it's not an ego stroke. It's we all need a little, um, I guess, reminding or affirmation along the way. And it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to tell people that. Well, and Lord, Lord knows uh, how much negativity we Ugh. see, too. So yeah. uh, you probably less than, uh, than say, some of uh, the other ones at TSN. Maybe, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, the way the world is, I suppose. So you know, everyone is quick to uh, tell you how much they hate you, but people are hesitant to tell you how much they love you. When yeah, it should be the opposite. It should, although face to face, they're not going to tell you they hate you. That's they? a great point. Yeah. That's such a great point. <laughs> when uh, when did the whole opportunity with the Canadians come up, and how did it come about? It was again. I mentioned Joel Darling, who um, he had. Okay, Sportsnet got the regional rights um, when. That the big new deal was signed. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. Prior to that, John Bartlett, of course, did this job before me. Wayne Buse was, what was he? He, this, he was the, the general manager. He was the general the manager. Okay. Yeah. So a friend of mine, this is this is before John got the job. A friend of mine said, hey, the Canadians are looking for a play-by-play guy. I that's, said, Yeah, that's when we first got the oh, rights okay. at TSN. I said, how long have you known that, Steve? Oh, a couple of weeks. I said, thanks for telling me. <laughs> so I called, I looked up, I got Wayne Buse and... He said, I said, can I send you something? He said, well, we pretty much have somebody. So I sent it to him and he calls me, he emailed me and he said, what are you, what are your plans for this year? I was like, oh shit, I got it. He said, I said, well, I'd like to do your games. And then he said, oh, he got back to me. He said, yeah, we've, we've decided on someone else. And it was John. So I said, okay. So then again, when the big deal was signed and Sportsnet got the regional rights, I applied, Joel Darling told Ed Hall, a producer, that I should be considered. So Ed called me on Labor Day uh, that year. That was 2014. And he said, are you interested in the TV job? I said, of course I am. I didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him. He got back to me. He said, we, we've given it, given it to John Bartlett. And I thought, okay, there's an opening in radio. John was doing something. Yeah. So <laughs> it was a Sunday. Chris Berry, 
who's uh, our big fella here. I found his name online. I said, can I send you something? He said, yes, I'll get back to you, whatever, tomorrow. And like within an hour, he said, uh, I like it. You know, can you come up and do, do a game? And, um, it was, I think August or September 25th, they played the Colorado avalanche and I kind of knew right away that he was leaning towards me. He said, you know, I'm surprised you don't have a national TV job. And I thought, okay, well, I'm in a good spot here. So we talked and I, I, I liked him right away. I found that I I could just trust him. I, and I'm not saying that I, I, Chris and I have a good relationship. I find I can talk to him about anything. So that was it. And at the time, you know, I had a couple of little kids and I talked to them. They weren't that little. If they were too young, I wouldn't have moved. Um, but it was, you know, we decided, I had to decide quickly, do I take the job? And I did. So I did my last game at Eastlink, uh, football game on a Saturday, Sunday, I filled my, the car I just bought with all my stuff, drove to Montreal. Um, Monday I came in here met Chris and Tuesday I went on the road for like a week so it was it was crazy that was 2014 yeah well I, I remember that I don't know I don't know if I'm supposed to share this story no, but cool. um I'm gonna do it anyways um Chris uh, brought me into his office and he said I want you to listen to uh, these four uh, play-by-play guys and who they were uh, doesn't matter now um I think I know well, one of them I can say was uh, was Elliot Price because okay. he was working with us at the time, right. and obviously my backing went to him. Yeah, I worked with Elliot on the morning show before I went to Melnick's show. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, Elliot was also uh, a big backer of mine, mm-hmm. so my allegiance with was with him. Yeah, and then Chris said, "Yeah, but take him out of the equation. Uh, of of the rest, who do you like?" And I went back to. Uh, to yours just because listen to your play-by-play again you had this presence okay, to your okay. voice everything sounded so full and uh and, but when the, the funny thing about that story isn't that i chose your voice it's that chris was asking me because he wanted just to have somebody tell him his he choice was right, was right. Okay. like he had already decided on you yeah. If I would have went with one of the other two guys, you would have still been hired. Uh. But I think he just wanted me to agree with him. That, that's what I think. That's cool. I, I, I don't know if he, if that was the case for sure, but that's the sense I Well, got. and I like what Knuckles says. I, I didn't, I, I wanted somebody else. I didn't like you as much as the other guy. Oh, that's what he oh, said? Yeah, yeah. I love him. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> I said, okay, cool. I think, I think I, I know who one other guy was, whatever, and, and I have an idea, a couple of other guys. But yeah, it was... That was an exciting time, and it, I mean, it's still exciting for me. I remember going in with Melnick and thinking, wow, like... Uh, Did you know him? No. I knew of him. Of him. Right? And I um, I didn't have access, I don't think, to a lot of... Uh, or I didn't listen to a lot of Montreal radio then, being in, in Nova Scotia. Would he have been on the... Remember the team? You guys were part of that countrywide thing wouldn't mm-hmm. maybe i would have heard him there well he's that he started the montreal one yeah basically okay. he was one of the first voices he was working on the morning show at the beginning okay and then eventually he moved to afternoon because i think he was too cranky waking up uh, at well, five who wouldn't be um <laughs> Jesus. but yeah that's uh he he pretty much was when when the team started in montreal yeah that was their first grab to make sure they it was him and ted blackman at the right. beginning. yeah well i re- i knew his name and i knew he carried a, a certain weight with him right and yeah. and uh you know i mean it's i'm amazed how smart that guy is I, I love listening to him and it's it's been fun to get to know him how uh how difficult was it for you uh to take uh to take the job knowing that you you mentioned that the kids were young not yeah. that young like yeah you still have to move 
Yeah, uh, pretty far. That was tough, and and you know we sort of had to make that decision collectively, uh, quickly. But okay, I'm trying to think. So Victoria is 19. So fine. Yeah, they were like 15 and 13. Really impressionable ages too, for sure. And I, you know, I talked it out with them, and they said, "Dad, you don't like your job now, and we think that you should do this." And uh, I said, "Well, you know, we we laid it out how how it was going to work, and I wasn't going to see them as much, and and that has sucked. I mean, to to be to use a term I probably shouldn't use. I don't, but it's it's been hard. It's it's had its down uh, downsides for sure. But I." I would do it again. I mean, I, I knew, I kind of knew I had to do it or uh, like the last thing I wanted to do, wanted to do was be 60 years old and think, God, I never, I don't want to say live my dream because that sounds kind of cliche, but I don't, I didn't want to wonder if I was ever good enough. And isn't, isn't there the fear too, that there'd be resentment towards the reasons why you didn't? Yeah, for sure. For sure, Mitch. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was the right thing. Um, so now I look at it, I, you know, we, my daughter's at Ottawa U now. I see her a little more than I normally would. Clark, who is 18, he's been up a lot of times. I get back when I can and I spend all summers with them. So, um, it's, it's not ideal in that sense, but I, I think I had to do it and I'm glad I did. You moved to Montreal. Yeah. Tell me about uh, the first time you went into the booth at the Bell Center and put the headset on. I can remember walking, you know, you walk up those stairs and then you're you're up top and walking around the catwalk, I guess you'd call it, and I thought, okay. I wasn't nervous for a second because I thought, I've done, I don't know how many games, and I just thought, I'm just going to give it... I'm going to call my game and I think it's going to be good enough. So I put the headset on and I can remember Sergio being really, uh, really good. And I thought if I didn't know him from Adam and I thought if this guy's a jerk, do I want this job? Like, I don't want to be saddled with some pinhead that I can't stand. But right away he was, you know, whatever you need. And Campbell was great too. You know, I was worried about the reads I had to do, uh, ads and that stuff. He said, ah, you know, don't worry too much about that. Call, just call the game. So, yeah, I remember putting on the headset, and uh, my big memory was the first home game. And I don't – was it the Bruins or the Rangers? I can't remember. But I remember – I couldn't stop smiling when they – I think Carrie Price might have gotten the flame from Ken Dryden or something like that. And I mm-hmm. thought, my God, I'm right in the middle of this. This is – I'd never been to a game there. And uh, it was – You had never been to a I'd game there? I'd never been to a game there. Had you been to the Forum? No. No. No, which I regret. So the first time you saw a game in Montreal was a game you were calling. Yeah. That's funny. awesome. Yeah. And it was, you know, uh, Goosebump City for sure. And that's happened more than a few times since then. Uh, it's just the best place to call a game. So you mentioned how great Sergio was that day. How was your relationship with him uh, developed over the last, so what did you say, 2014 you said? Yeah. So, so five, five years. years. Really well. Right away he was... He did a lot for me, you know, advising me NDG is a good place. He grew up there, and it has been a good place for me to live. Uh, you know, walking me, because you go in the different arenas, and you don't know where to go, and you're not sure where the room is. Or, I mean, he helped me so much there. And he's been really kind. It's it's that uh, Italian family thing, I think. You know, he, 
if I'm alone for a while, why don't you come out for dinner? Why don't you, why don't you do this? Or just like a big brother, especially early, you know? So it's good too, because listen, there've been a couple of horrible seasons and we laugh like fools all the time. So thankfully we have similar senses of humor and, uh, we really laugh a lot. And I think sometimes too, that I think some people like that, uh, from when we're on the air, we don't, you know, I don't think we're clowns or anything like that, but a little bit of humor goes a long way, but yeah, it's, it's been a good, it's been a good relationship, a good fit, I think. Yeah. And, uh, I love it. Good. I, I listen to, uh, the games while I'm at the games. Oh yeah. And, well, he's uh, so funny anyway. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, 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 yeah. And I love, I love just sending you guys, uh, snarky oh. remarks to the things that you say on the ice <laughs> I know. and helping. I like helping too. Yeah. Uh, a couple quick ones for you. <laughs> Favorite place to call a game outside of Montreal. Mm. What comes to mind? Um, Chicago comes to mind, although we don't go there very much. And sometimes we're sitting in a makeshift booth. So I don't really like that. Um, where's that? Sorry. Well, we're sitting sort of on a, like at a big, long, long table and they just have to, since we travel with French broadcasters, TV and uh, radio. I remember being in Tampa with you guys and that being an issue. Yeah. So sometimes we get, we get nudged out and, uh, Chicago is a great atmosphere, but when we don't have a booth, uh, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. (laughs) So, and that's, that can be a problem, uh, at different Brooklyn sucks. Oh, Brooklyn, Colorado's the worst. Oh yeah. Because the, the owner took up, I don't know what percentage, which is his right of what used to be the press area. And now we're almost behind a net. And I, I mean, it's the NHL. I can't see the other end. So, um, Toronto disappointed me, but I think it's going to get better now that they're, they are competitive. A, a, a competitive team. Yeah. Uh, it's just Mitch that Montreal is so much better than any other place by that. I can't even, I can't even come up with a, uh, okay. Madison square garden. I'll say that because the history there, they redid, I guess up top, it's beautiful. And it's, I mean, it has a lot of meaning to me is, uh, just a Mecca for boxing and concerts and, uh, I did a TV game this year, and I thought I had a friend who died of cancer a few years ago. Big Rangers fan, and he had heard me call games on radio. And I thought ah, I wish Kev was alive to see this; he would have got a kick out of it. So I'll say Madison Square Garden. Hockey is a unique game. Lots of unique names. Your favorite name to say on the radio? Oh, boy, that is a good one. My favorite name to say. Well, when I saw the Canadians drafted Kotkaniemi, I thought, oh, couldn't you draft like a Smith or something that really ro- rolls off the You do top. such a good job with Kotkaniemi, yeah. though. That's why I thought that might be one of them. Yeah. Um, I used to... Max Pacioretty had a certain had a certain ring to it. Um, you know, and I... I, I kind of wish he was still around. I like I like Max a lot. So that that's that's one that comes to mind. Uh, certainly of the of the Canadians in the last number of uh, number of seasons. So yeah, uh, who was it that there was a kid with Nashville that Sergio would always get a kick out of me calling? Well, there's one too, Andreas Athanasiu. I don't mind that one at Athanasiu, all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I'm curious who the guy in Nashville is. Yeah, let me. I'll have to the look guy, that up. Is the guy that his his name. It always reminded me of Jared Saltalamacchia. Ah, uh, yeah. Is that the guy in Nashville? No, they it, had a player like that, Salmon, Salmon, yeah, Salmonella, or something. Salamaki. <laughs> Salamaki. Some, something. Is that the name you were talking it. about? That's okay. It. 
and I would uh, would kind of roll off the tongue. Victor, Sammy, uh, is, I should know his first name. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but with Max, it was uh, you could really punch to be scored. Max, Pat, you're ready. You know, I mean, you could really, really lean into it. So I always liked when he would score. What do you think of uh, how much everyone loves how you say Kulak? It's funny. Um, I'm never one to come up with any kind of preconceived goal calls or anything like that. So that was in the moment? Yeah, yeah. and it was a tie game. It was in the third period. And it was right off a draw, and, and he scored. And it was just, Kulak! You know, because <laughs> I thought it sort of deserved that. And uh, yeah, and then I, I got tired of hearing it. I thought, ah, go with it. You know, people get some people get a kick out of it. And I think Brett gets a kick out of it himself. So uh, yeah, it was kind of took on a life of its own, so it was funny. Um, favorite goal you've called? I can remember P.A. Parento in my first year scored in game five against Tampa in the third. I remember, remember that. that one? Yeah. Just from inside the line. Yeah, I think that put them up by two. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Mitch. I don't know. Maybe, I, could be, I could be wrong. How about... Um, I remember the goal, though. Yeah. Because it was right underneath uh, where I sit. Yeah. yeah. I'll, say, I'll say game two uh, in the series against the Rangers, they were down a, go- a game and... Radulov scored in overtime, the overtime because winner. they needed that. I mean, yeah. wouldn't have, wouldn't have mattered in the end. Um, but there was one that was probably the big one. I was in New York City um, for the, the resumption of the series, and NBC was using part of that that call um, uh, for their commercials nationwide. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, that's one. Uh, Subban scored one here against Colorado one night. He, he went around behind the net. He came oh, out. Oh, that was, uh, I think he came out of the penalty he box did, for that yeah. one. Yeah. And I said, magical moves from P.K. Subban. I thought it, that was kind of funny. But yeah, I'm never one to, I don't have a, like a set goal call. I just can't do that. So. If you were to um, work a sport, not hockey. Baseball? I would love to be able to call baseball on radio. I don't know if I could. I mean, that is such an art. There's so much time to fill. But yeah, I would say so. I mean, you mentioned Vin Scully earlier. Oh, that guy was... He's doing it by himself, too. Was doing it by himself. In his mid-80s, like late-80s. I've never heard anyone like him. I think he's the best broadcaster, period, ever. I still joke about it, like listening to uh, Vin Scully. And uh, I'm getting ready to go to bed, obviously, because it's, uh, it's Dodgers games. And they're in the fifth inning, and... Vin Scully starts talking about Mississippi mud, and I'm 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 just I'm glued to the TV. I'm like, tell me more about the Mississippi mud, there, Vin. Yeah, and no, and then they rub down the baseballs with the Mississippi mud. (laughs) They have to bring in the Mississippi mud from, and he's just he's going on the whole history. I'm like, this guy's amazing. Uh, I know, and but it's never it was never boring, right? It was always, I mean, I, I don't know how he could do that, and. He, he did play-by-play when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers, for God's sake. So, yeah, I mean, there's some of those guys are just off the charts. But, yeah, I, I would say I, I used to like doing um, college basketball, even though I don't really know the – like, I'm no Dwight Walton when it comes to knowing basketball. But when it's right in front of you, I always appreciated how physical it was. And, and that's at the university level. I, and some of the well, – we used to do the final eight, I guess, uh, the conference tournament – in Halifax, and that was a ball. But uh, no, I'd li- I, I'd, I'd like to be able to do baseball. Tell us a little bit about what it's like uh, to travel uh, with the Canadians. Everyone just, you know, their imagination runs wild. Yeah. Like how much of the high life you must experience when you're traveling with these guys? Yeah, it, it's probably, well, it's one of the best parts of the job for sure. It's amazing. And uh, I mean, my first year, I remember taking a picture of the menu with the Habs logo on it and sent it to my brother, the Canadians fan. 
he said, go to hell. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where's he going to get a meal that nice, right? And you're on true. a plane. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great. You, you put on your suit, you go to the airport, you sort of board at your leisure. There's, uh, Pierre Maguire said NHL is no hitting league. Well, it's the never hungry league. That's what NHL stands for. Yeah. Best of food back there. Um, best know, hotels first, oh, best hotels, the Ritzes and, um, you know, it, it's, it's a well-oiled machine too. It's cool to see how it goes. When we land somewhere, there's two buses, the players get on their bus, the media get on our bus and Pierre Hood and I, and Mark Denny and Sergio sit at the back and we laugh and, and, you know, it can be a grind, but it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful way to go. And, you know, people say, oh, would you like to make the full-time move to TV? And I think, oh, I wouldn't be on that flight anymore. You're giving, <laughs> you're giving up, uh, some of the best parts. Yeah. It's, uh. I'll tell you too. I, I'm not part of the team, and I would never, ever pretend to feel that way. But when they in win, the way you are though. Yeah, I guess in uh, with the media, I'll say that much. I'm part of that team that's at the front of the at the front of the plane uh, when we travel. But when they play well and when they win, and we're on the road, and you know, you might have a word with. And I'm not name dropping. If it's you see like a you know Kirk Muller or Luke Richardson or, or Claude is happy and they crack a joke with you. It's a good feeling. Uh, you can sense it through the plane that everybody's feeling good. So it's nice. So the guys are generally cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I very rarely interact with the players because it just, I want to give them their space. I'm like, Hey man, that was a great goal. I'm not going to do that. I'll say and hi. Please never do that. No, that's, <laughs> that's the last thing I would do. I mean, I know people who would do that. They would kiss up to them, but, uh, you know, they're, it's, it is on the road where you, you talk to them a little bit more. You see them in the hotel, maybe have a quick word. But yeah, I, I can't think of anybody that I haven't disliked. Markov was a bit of a knob, but um, you know that's that's who he was. He was that way to everybody. So. Careful, man. He might come back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> come back with a Russian mafia and take me out. Yeah. Last one uh, for you. We love uh, wrapping up the podcast, uh, talking about music, ah. uh, since I'm such a big music fan. So I know often uh, I go into the uh, booth and you and Sergio have the uh, headsets on. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting jacked up for a game, what are you listening to? I have an app called Kello, Q-E-L-L-O. And it has, it's like 12 bucks a month and it has all of these live concerts. Uh, well, not live, but... Uh, recorded concerts yeah. and you know what i'm getting at and it's awesome and sometimes there's a couple of rush uh concerts i'll put on if i'm if i'm dragging my ass and i'm on the road and i'm tired or if i want to get pumped up that's what i'll do so it's usually one of those or i'll get some old school van halen and and that'll that'll usually do the trick for me you tell you love the drums yeah, yeah. With, I, with those two bands right away, it's like no, it's bands true. with crazy drums, uh, uh, percussions oh, whatever, for sure. on, the, on the recordings. Yeah, and that's kind of been passed down to my son, who's a good drummer, and he kind of got into it because I used to watch a lot of Rush, and he'd say, he'd remember him being a little kid, Dad, that Neil Peart, the drummer for Rush, is like he has two brains. He can play, play so well. You know, four, yeah. four hands, two brains. Oh, yeah. Honest to God, yeah, yeah, something else. So, no, it's a... It's a big part of my life, and, and Sergio's a big music fan. And What's he listening to? You know, I know he's very proud of his noise-canceling headsets. He so. is, he is. <laughs> he, he'll drop in some, uh, you know what, some stuff that he likes is, uh, he likes some of the, not the, the new wave movement, right, from the 80s. He likes some of that. He'll listen to some Sinatra, some classic rock, too. Um and he likes Motown. That's you can see the big fellow dancing. You know that he's got some Motown on, and that is funny. He'll get the moves going, and 
And he can sing too. He's got a great voice. So. Yeah, we heard him on Melnick singing Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. And uh, not surprised by uh, by anything except for uh, New Wave. Sergio doesn't strike me as. Uh, so what are you talking about? He, like the Clash? And- yeah. Well, I'm thinking who did uh, Simple Minds and uh, a Flock of Seagulls. A flock I think of Seagulls. Okay. I, uh, and yeah. maybe not them specifically, but that whole. Uh, that whole sort of genre, he really liked that. And I thought, well, oh, that's pretty cool. He, sa- he said he remembers back when that was popular here in the city. He used to like to check it out when he could. So to finish, yep. if someone's listening and thinks, you know what, I'd like to pursue a career in broadcasting, what advice would you give to that person? I would tell them to be ready to uh, work for a little or no pay. Um, and I, if you're young, just, you know, Ron, I can, can, can relate. Yeah, it. for sure. Ron <laughs> McLean told me this. Um, I would say 90, when I was in broadcasting school, maybe 93 or something, he said, work, just work wherever you can. Uh, work. If it's, if you're a kid and you, you know, you want to go watch a midget game and you want to talk into your phone, go do it. Don't feel stupid about it. Um, you just, you have to get your reps in. I, I don't care if it's play by play or doing what you do. I, it's like anything you have to, you have to get experience and, and, you know, if you're really into it, listen to people that you like and, and try and, uh, pick little things from them here and there, but be yourself, right? Don't steal anything from anybody consciously, just be yourself and wherever you can get a chance to call games. If it's, if you're sitting in front of the TV, do that. I mean, it's, and then if you, I always say people, actually a, a kid asked me this, it was a project he was doing, a friend of a friend. And he said, do you think that if you want something, if I want to be an NHL play-by-play guy bad enough that I will be? And I said, no, you have to have some ability too. I, I can't just say, you know, if you want something bad enough, you'll get it. I don't believe that. And you have to have a talent. You do. And it's just too simple to say, that's not to rain on anybody's parade, but I think if you have an aptitude for it, and if you're willing to try hard enough, then somebody will find you somewhere along the line. Thanks, uh, Dan, for joining us. My pleasure. Dan Robertson, the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. Thanks to him for joining us today. And thanks to you, the listener, for listening to Montreal's Finest Podcast.